0: Welcome back to another edition of Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions Podcast, our weekly late night talk show exploring pop culture through an esoteric lens, focusing on music, literature, film, and other dispatches from parts unknown. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury. I edit Aquarium Drunkard, and this week I'm joined by bassist Jonathan Ford of the long running post rock band Unwed Sailor. They've been at it for more than two decades, and in that time, Ford has steered the band, an ever-evolving collective that's included members of Page of the Lion, Fleet Foxes, Danielson Family, and more, through a searching string of albums, incorporating the influence of ambient music, shoegaze, new age, math rock, and drone into its body of work, which constitutes one of the great under-recognized discographies in all of indie rock. Unwed Sailor's latest is called Look Alive, and it showcases the band's more driving side, marrying Peter Hook-inspired bass lines to rumbling soundscapes that evidence the early influence of groups like Bedhead and Tortoise. Last year I worked with Jonathan on a history of the band, but I wanted to know more, so I called him up to ask how he made his way from the grinding math rock of his 90s band, Roadside Monument, to the slow core folk of Pedro the Lion, which he was an early member, and then to Unwed Sailor's vast, genre-diverse tapestry of sounds in all zones in between. Before we dive in, a friendly reminder, we're uploading some great new stuff to our Patreon page over the next couple weeks. Head over to Patreon and pledge. It's the absolute best way to support what we do. It helps keep our contributors paid, the site looking great, and allows us to bring you the independent, passionate music writing and programming you expect from AD. Okay, without further delay, here's my talk with Jonathan Ford of Unwed Sailor. See you on the other side. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, Of course. So uh, we worked together on a a brief history of Unwed Sailor last year. So for the sake of the listener, though, I'll I'll, I'll mention that I've been listening to Unwed Sailor for almost uh, two decades. And uh, it was a lot of fun to try to speak with you about the... um, the history of the band, the condensed history of Unwed Sailor, but I'm really looking forward to getting to talk with you about about uh, both, you know, your discography and uh, and your brand new record, uh, Look Alive, which is uh, is really a fun record. Awesome, yeah. It arrives hot on the heels of, of Heavy Age, which was your last one, and I was reflecting on how both LPs feature. I mean, really, like, a lot of driving rhythms, but especially especially this new one, especially Look Alive. Um, there's some real kind of triumphant stuff happening on this record, on songs like Camino Real or something like that. The last two records have sort of moved in that direction. I'm curious if you're feeling, for lack of a better word, uh, cockier about Unwed Sailor <laughs> these days.
1: I I definitely feel more confidence. I had... Kind of a a, a songwriting epiphany a uh, year or two ago, and uh, I think what it came from is I had uh, Dave Bazan and I have pretty regular conversations. We just kind of catch up with each other and see what's going on. And whenever I'm, I have a question about the music industry or. You know, songwriting, or I, I usually go to Dave uh, because I respect him immensely. Uh, just, you know, his history and music and uh, his songwriting chops and everything. So um, so we'll kind of bounce ideas off of each other, and I, I'm always inspired after I talk to him. And uh, so uh, there was a point where the reformed Peter the Lion uh, where I was going to play bass uh, for the Reformed of Peter the Lion, and um, so my job was to learn pretty much the entire of the Lion discography, which was a pretty daunting task for me at first. I'm not I'm not the best at just sitting down and learning a bass line from listening to a song. Like I, I got to kind of work at it. So. I put in the work, and I think it did something to my brain, to where it it clicked some kind of songwriting switch, to where it's way easier for me to write songs now. Yeah. And I think it just took, you know, and Bazan's songs are just great. They're all great. Like there's, they're so well written. So I think me learning all these song structures and bass lines and then processing that and then somehow putting that into Unleashed Sailor made me a more confident songwriter. So now it's like I'm at this point where you know I'll be like oh I need to move my bass across the room and I'll pick it up and I'll you know whenever you pick up an instrument you just kind of start playing it and usually I'll just start writing a bass line just subconsciously I'm like okay, well here we go. You know, forty-five minutes to an hour. I gotta finish the thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I've just been writing way more. I've got way more confidence in my writing. Uh, it's coming easier to me. So I feel like I'm just at the stage
0: where so many songs are coming to me that I I don't know if cocky is the right word, but confidence. Yes is a word I feel comfortable with. It seems to me like that's pretty that's pretty clear, you know, on these records. There's a there's a sense that you you sound like you're you're really deeply engaged with what you're doing, but also I mean, have these last records have they have they felt more fun to you, to use a kind of a, a goofy term?
1: Yeah, I, I would say they've progressively gotten funner or more fun yeah um Look Alive being the most enjoyable because it happened Look Alive happened very quickly and it it, Look Alive was
2: the record where I would pick up my bass take it across the room and then I have the Camino
1: Real bass line you know that kind of thing It, it was exciting to feel like a songwriter that I could just turn a faucet on and I'm going to have songs. Right. Where there, there, it wasn't a struggle. It it was like you're a conduit and like, oh, awesome. Today I get to see what kind of music is going to come out of me. Uh, so that was super fun and that's like a, a new experience for me because my past with songwriting has been more of a chore, but it's just been a lot more work. Sure. Uh to try to and then at the same time having those
2: fears of oh, I'm almost scared to pick up a bass because what if nothing happens? What if I can't write a song? And I just that fear and that work element have gone away. Yeah. So yeah with with look alive that definitely happened. Heavy age, um there's songs in Heavy Age that have been written for a while before this kind of new era.
1: Um, But there were songs on Heavy Age, though, that came about in this new transition into writing more fluently as well. But it kind of, like, came to the... You know, came to a head with Look Alive where I'm like, whoa, dude, like, I just wrote...
2: Uh, look alive! And what the hell is this? Like I don't know right. what this is, right. but I really like it, and
1: it, I'm really—it's exciting to me. Uh, it feels like a new direction for M1 Sailor. I don't really know what I'm gonna do when I get to the studio to this thing, but I'm really excited to see what comes of it.
0: You—you know—I know that when we talked in the past, we talked specifically about. Peter Hook being like a, a sort of a touchstone for you as a bassist, and and the music of New Order in general, um, Look Alive kind of embraces that pretty pretty strongly. I would say um, was that a was that a fun zone to kind of work in uh, with this group? Yes, uh, New Order is is uh, probably the most
1: truest foundation I can think of for a metal And it it hasn't necessarily been purposeful. I think what's happened is I grew up on New Order,
2: um, you know, as like a kid. And so I listened to it
1: so much. And I connected with the band so much. It was just, you know, when you're younger, you you find that band that speaks to you. And you don't really understand why. It just... you just have that connection so with you know with Unwood Sailor over the years I think that New Order Peter Hook thing has always been there but now like over these past few years I'm really I'm understanding that now I'm like I'll hear a bass line I do, and I'm like, oh, that's, that reminds me of New Order, and I'm like, well, of course it does, because that's like, what's influenced your musical writing for 20 years. Like, sure, yes, sure. You know? So coming to that realization was really exciting for me, like, it, to me, it was like a celebration, like, yes, like, new, my interpretation of New Order comes out of me, and I'm a sailor, um, and, i want that to keep happening because i love New order and i love the music you know um, and uh i'm i'm working uh on that follow-up to look alive right now and i've even dove even deeper into the peter hook thing uh like like full-on bass solos that you know um to the point where I was like, what? I was like, okay, that's really Peter Hook. Is that okay? And then I'm like, of course it's okay. That's just what that's what came out of me. So it's okay. That's I'm a sailor. So I'm gonna celebrate that. It's, but yes, uh, new order is. It's so fun for me to have that influence, and I celebrate it on every I'm a sailor record.
0: <laughs> you, it's interesting because you're talking about a band that you've been doing for, you know, more than 20 years. And the only real guiding, the only, the only remaining fixture through the entire history of Unwed Sailor is yourself, you know? So, um, it sounds to me like at some point, and maybe this was tied to that, um, sort of songwriting breakthrough and maybe it wasn't, but it seems like at some point you, you maybe became, entirely comfortable with the fact that, that this project could be whatever you want it to be because it's what it has essentially always been. Does that feel like a fair way to put it?
1: Yeah it, yes I've, I've come to the point where I'm with I sailor where no matter what happens to music musically, I'm comfortable with it. And there were there were a couple records where I questioned uh, for example the White ox record and the circle EP. As I was writing and recording that, uh, it didn't sound like anything on what Sailor had done. It didn't sound like Firecracker. It didn't sound like the Faithful Anchor. It didn't sound like the Marionette in the Music Box. So I started questioning. Well, maybe this is something like a side project. Maybe this is doesn't go under the Wood Sailor name. But then the more I started thinking about it, I started thinking, well. This is coming directly from me,
0: so therefore it's somewhat sailor. And I I made the decision to be confident in that, that whatever music comes out of me is somewhat sailor. Yeah. And that's in and, and realizing that and accepting that is, is really fun because it it's all it's almost like a ride you're on. It's like, okay, this next somewhat sailor record, what's it gonna sound like? you know what what's it gonna feel like and you so you're kind of discovering your own band with each release yeah yeah one of the interesting things about looking at your career you know from uh the stuff that you've done with with various bands but starting with roadside monument in the 90s you know this really gnarly heavy kind of uh I guess math rock would be one way to put it, you know, that's in a way that people would quickly kind of understand. But essentially this, like, kind of thrashy, post-hardcore, really interesting art rock project. Um, I wondered if we could start there a little bit and talk about how when you got involved with that band all those these many years ago, you know, what what drew you, you know, as this kind of maybe like a new new wave kid who was interested in that stuff and interested in indie rock, uh, you know what drew you to Unwed Sailor in the in the early days, the group that you joined up with, uh, that existed before you were in the band. Uh, Doug Lorig founded it, but when you joined up, what what was your entry point with that band? What what did you what made you excited to
1: join? Well, I had I had just moved to Seattle, uh, and it was like ninety four, ninety five, and I.
0: Where did you mo- move? Where did you move from?
1: Uh, Tulsa. Got it. And I, when I left Tulsa, I was going on a journey to play music. That was my goal. And I couldn't find that in Tulsa. So, you know, at that time, mid-90s, you're like, well, West Coast, you know, Seattle, Portland, uh, maybe Los Angeles. You know, it was that kind of thing. So I just set out and ended up in Seattle. And uh, I got to know Matt Johnson and Doug Lorig from Roadside Monument and just that whole scene up there. And around that, about the time I had gotten up there, Roadside Monument was recording there beside this brief hexagonal record. And so I went into the studio one day. Uh, and I, you know I, I, you know, it was that kind of point where, I had such a drive to find music and to play music that I would just talk to anybody. I would go anywhere. I just wanted it so bad. So I just made myself available and made myself any kind of social situation I could get in to meet new people. So I, I think I just invited myself to the studio, honestly, <laughs> just to be around other musicians yeah. and to hear them recording. And um, and when t- from meeting those guys and talking to them, Doug had said, "Well, you know, our bass player is going to be quitting." Uh, and I instantly said, "Well, I'll play bass for you." Uh, and, and at that point, I hadn't really played bass that much. I had played in a band in Seattle with, uh, gosh, who was in Evan Haas. Uh, Matt Johnson was in it. Josh Golden who played bass in Pedro The Lion After Me we kind of started this little band called Fellsway and played like four shows or something and that was the first time I really all of a sudden felt what it was like to write a melody on a bass and express myself through this instrument and it and it sounded pretty good so I was still like a newbie to this to this music thing you know like actually writing songs so I just but I threw my name out there I said hey I will play bass." and uh, Doug and I got along so uh I was like yeah let's do it so uh, so then at that point I kind of sat down and I was like okay well how do I write a song like how do I do this so I would just sit down with my bass and just put my fingers on the strings and start you know picking away and whatever sounded good is what I felt comfortable with um, so it was a really exciting time for me because I was discovering not only how to play music but how to express my feeling and myself through a bass line like what that meant and what that felt like Yeah. and so I brought my my sense of what I felt musically into what Doug was already doing and that and then and then we got Matt in the band so we just started creating this new thing that us as a a trio did um you know and there's the bands that we loved and were listening to all the time you know during that era and I still listen to and love you know like Rodan Slint and Don Cavalero, and that kind of stuff um so yeah I think it, you know it it's, that was such a beautiful era to me and I think so fondly on it, on it and I honestly miss it sometimes yeah. just the innocence and mm-hmm. in like you know what it felt like to bring like the Spurman and Burton baseline in, into the studio, you know into the practice room with, with Doug and Matt and then we just like that just comes out you know yeah it was just so beautiful and um uh it's just those moments in life where you're like whoa i'm figuring out like this is what i'm supposed to do you know like this works this i feel i feel complete you know what i mean i feel like i'm i'm fully expressing myself uh and it's working So yeah, the roadside thing was just a beautiful, just a beautiful beginning for me in playing music, and I learned so much from being in that band.
0: All right, we're going to take a minute now to hear from our sponsors. Creators, are you tired of being paid in clicks and likes? Social media and streaming platforms help people find your work, but getting you paid is another story. Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers. Using it, you'll develop a sustainable income source by offering a monthly membership to your fans. In turn, they'll get exclusive access to your community, premium content, and a chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken. Sign up on Patreon.com now. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and start building the steady income stream that your project deserves. All right, let's continue my interview with Jonathan Ford of Unwed Sailor here on the Transmissions Podcast. Roadside was signed to Tooth and Nail Records, which is predominantly like a Christian rock label. You know that's kind of a reductive term for a lot of what the label put out but it fits for a lot of what they put out as well um obviously the band's history was you know had roadside's history is maybe littered with certain complications that arose uh between the inherently kind of aggressive and confrontational stuff you were doing and maybe some of the aims of the uh those who viewed music as more of like something like an evangelistic, per, you know, per, uh, pursuit or something like that. But but I'm I'm curious, you know, in the in the the indie rock, post hardcore, emo scenes, there's there's a lot of bands and they're writing about a lot of things. But it seems to me like, you know, alongside relationships and society and politics and everything else, I mean, it seems like people were kind of expressing. Uh, their spiritual ideas as well so so did roadside you know or music in general actually let me rephrase that has music in general ever felt like part of your spiritual practice overall as a person
1: um i think it's a spiritual practice but i
0: would i would say in a christian sense sure um to me
1: it to me spiritual was
2: whoa I just played this bass this bass line and it totally matched
1: with what Doug was doing and then Matt brought this beat in and it totally matched what we were doing and we just created this song and it feels so right and so good and then that song goes out and connects with other people to me that was spiritual that that was what made made me feel like, I guess, what other people would feel like when they say they've had like a spiritual
0: high or... Yeah, a or religious experience, you know? like,
1: yeah. To me, it was music was, was my spiritual practice. Um, and, you know, being in Unwet Sailor for so long in an instrumental band, you know, I guess singing or writing lyrics has never been something that I've, you know, has been... I guess my strong suit or what I've been drawn to, but I, but I did write lyrics and sing at Runside Monument, and the, the the themes that I wrote about were, you know, uh, you know like childhood trauma, uh, or or friends that were left behind, yeah, uh, or you know, relationships gone wrong, uh, things like that, like like personal. And that happened in my life that that shook me or changed me or made me see things differently, but there there was never a religious I expression for me. I,
0: uh, that wasn't on my radar. Did you did you feel uncomfortable with the associations with Christianity? I mean, like the band at various points played Christian festivals or or festivals that were you know whatever classified as Christian. I
1: did. I did, yes. Uh, it, it was a really fine line. Uh, it was a fine line to walk. And, it, you know, it was a thing, too, where, you know, I was in my 20s, and I was still figuring out life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do I navigate things? For sure. So, so you know, I I felt
2: uncomfortable with it, and there was a backlash not necessarily a backlash
1: but it made things harder for roadside um like for example we booked our own tours uh you know we um we would get on the phone and, and book the shows ourselves and we had found that when we when we would say to a promoter or a club that we were on Tooth & now Records they didn't want to book us um you know, uh, at the creepy
0: crawl in St. Louis, or, sure, <laughs> or because Malones in Cincinnati, or you know the the rock clubs that we wanted to play. So because they assumed we, that you were going to be doing sort of Jesus punk or something.
1: Yes, yes, that that was kind of for Tooth and Nail back then. That was the perception from people. Um, so there, you know uh, so there were but then you know there was like Joe Christmas and Roadside Monument uh and bands like us that we were just doing our own thing um but we had to work harder to prove ourselves in some way or something you know sure sure um so that was frustrating and it I think it also
0: it made us more cautious uh with things um and it was hard having that association when we weren't that kind of band. Right, right. Um, when, Ro- when Roadside dissolved, you know, you started Unwed Sailor. Well, actually, maybe Unwed Sailor started slightly before Roadside's dissolution. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it, it, was, it was right around—because I, I, I went from Roadside to Peter the Lion. And right around in that period is when I started writing the M1 Sailor bass lines. And they didn't really fit in Roadside. You know, they were just... They were happier. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. the correct term for the way they sound. Sure. But there was just like a vibe about them that didn't really make sense. So I just kind of had them saved, you know. Um, And then when I started playing in Pedro... Uh, uh, I brought those songs to Dave, and I said, "You know, hey, would you write some drum parts to this?" And then, you know, at the time, uh, uh, Casey
2: Westcott was a good friend of mine. He had actually uh, been a roadie on the roadside monument tours. Um, you know, Casey went on to play in Fleet Foxes, and you know, just become this incredible musician. So uh, I asked Casey to play guitar on it on the on sailor stuff and we you know just went into this house and just you know recorded everything to tape set up you know the bass amp in the bathroom drums in the living room and just we knocked out the firecracker EP like pretty quickly I
0: think two days or something like that yeah it's such a cool record thank you we talked you know so I guess what something that's that's that seems interesting to me is that coming out of Roadside, which was a, a pretty loud group, um, you know, you, you you kind of made the shift into Page of the Lion and Unwed Sailor, both of which are much quieter projects, you know, in general. Um, when we talked for the history that that we put together, you talked about the influence of you know Tortoise and and Rachel's the Louisville. Band that was formed by the former Rodan Rodan guitarist Jason Noble and and featuring Rachel Grimes, who there's an interview with her at Aquarium Drunkard right now. But um, oh, nice! But along with bands like you know like Low and Bedhead, it seems like like you were interested in in moving towards a more you know sort of quiet and restrained approach. And, and, and I wonder if you viewed that as essentially sort of a punk rock move in a way something that forced the audience to pay attention you know and whereas maybe bands in the past that you'd been a part of were sort of using extreme volume to do that was pulling back and and sort of turning the amps down uh, did that was there was there something about that that seemed like a like an artistically interesting uh, path to take or or was it even less conscious than that it was less conscious uh it my my
1: whole thing with Elmwood sailor has always been to the best of my ability is to not think about it too much there's no real agenda or well or the agenda would be to just allow it yeah to let go what whatever music comes out of you, that's what it is. So I, I didn't going into um, what Sailor, you know, the early bass lines, the Firecracker bass line or the Ruby Swishes bass line, Snowcap's bass line, that those when I sat down and wrote those, there wasn't an intentional, you know, this is what I want this to sound like. It was more like Whoa, here's these weird baselines that don't really work with Roadside Monument. So, and I'm sure that those bass lines were being influenced by the things I was listening to, you know, tortoise, bedhead, per- perfect examples. And that was taking me into that direction, that influence of those bands, just from them being so ingrained in my, you know, my my brain and my soul, you know, musically so yeah it was just it was just this uh, a natural progression that happened based on my musical influences and just what was the truth coming out of me
0: musically what what was happening inside of me i want to ask about talk talk um mark hollis and talk talk you know on albums like spirit of eden and *Laughing Stock*, and then later Mark Hollis's solo album, self-titled solo album, those would go on to sort of be cited as an influence on post-rock at large. Whatever the genre is, it's ill-defined, almost like all genres are. But um, you know, early-day Miners cite Talk Talk as an influence. You can hear that on their recently reissued album, Place or Found. There's a 20th anniversary edition that just came out, and you know, I really enjoyed spending time with that. You went on to work with. Talk Talk's cover artist, the neo surrealist, you know James Marsh on the White Ox. So, so I wondered, what what did you know? Discovering those Talk Talk records mean to you, and, and when did that happen?
1: Uh, that was that was another huge milestone for me, um, and I that I can thank Dan Burton from Early Day Miners for that. Um, when we were recording the White Ox in Circles, Talk Talk was definitely on my radar. And I felt like their music was so adventurous and pure and confusing and beautiful. I just felt like they were, were a band, or Mark Hollis specifically, was someone who did whatever he wanted. And he he just, it's like he opened up his heart and... Whatever craziness came out, he was gonna embrace that. That's what it felt like to me, and I, I felt like he there were he had no boundaries and no barriers. And that was one of that idea was an inspiration when recording the White Ox. And going back to what we were saying earlier, how where I have that insecurity of well, is the White Ox really an Alan Sailor record? Yeah. You know, well, did Mark Hollis say? Is the spirit of Eden really a Talk Talk record? You know, it, it, it's it's so, it's different. Yeah, he... and it's unique in in its own way. So that that inspired me. You know, taking inspiration from Talk Talk in the way that they're gonna put out a record that's gonna be so weird and could ruin their career, and that there's no It's My Life dance sequel. But they're gonna put this thing out and believe in it, and that was that was a huge inspiration to me.
0: Uh, not to mention, yeah, not to mention Radiohead and so many others. You know, like truly oh, a, dude. a remarkable, influential record. You know, a, a set of them. Uh, absolutely, uh, OK Computer and Kid A. I mean, especially Kid A. Like, you know, hearing that for the first time when it came out. Like, what is happening? Right.
1: <laughs> you know? Like,
0: right, what absolutely. this
1: ride that I just got put on?
0: Sure, uh, sure.
1: And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, you know, just... I've always been drawn to dangerous music. And what I mean by dangerous is that something that challenges you and something that doesn't care what kind of reception it's going to get
0: that you're willing to take that risk and put something out that might be completely panned by everybody. But yet you put that out and you believe in it 100%. To me, there's a danger in that. And like, like you said, there's, there's that's punk. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the, the white ox is, is a great example of that because you know, on that record, you were, you were exploring, even new age, you know, sort of textures. Absolutely, yeah. A- and nowadays, it's not all that radical for people to say that they like awesome stuff like Laraji or Stephen Halpern or Yasos or Steve Roach or Don Slepian, who I believe you've done some work with recently, right? Uh, th- it, that's on the schedule. Okay, okay. People like that, you know. Until recent years, they were largely shunned by even fans of you know, ambient music or whatever. Even even people who liked Brian Eno and Stars of the lit or whatever would would kind of uh, diss that stuff. Um, what drew you into moving into that space? Was that you know where where was your head out in in regards to that? And did it feel like maybe you were doing it at a time slightly before everybody was interested in groups doing that?
1: Oh uh, well, yes, it seems that way, and. and- that and again that wasn't a conscious thing where oh new age I'm going to do that yeah (laughs) sure of course Uh, it was it's just at that time and point in my life what happened naturally and I would say new age music ambient music is probably
2: the closest thing to my heart from the
1: beginning but what I up classical music was my first listen. My my favorite thing to do as a kid was to listen to classical music or movie soundtracks and read books at the same time. Yeah. That was like my thing. And and I would listen to you know like really mellow like uh, classical music and you know things in that genre. Like I I, I don't know, I wasn't listening to new age records necessarily. But I just, I was drawn to like soothing mellow music. And uh, that's something I've always felt connected with. So I think it it was just, you know, like we've been saying, a natural thing to me. It just came out, that
0: influence came out in on that record. You've, you know, uh, you've kind of always had a revolving membership, you know, with Unwed Sailor and never really a fixed sound. Obviously, you know, we can't, uh, cover it all, but at the same time, it's worth noting from, you know, sort of really experimental stuff with the marionette and the music box and, and a lot of interesting tones and textures there to the White Ox, to the earlier stuff, to this more modern heavy and even sort of, you know, post-punk type stuff. Um, in that way you almost remind me of 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 a jazz player in that like you're sort of it's it's your relationship with the instrument that's sort of at the core of the thing um and in some ways that seems to sort of transcend even some of the stylistic choices you're making you know it's not about whether or not it's like a, a it seems to me like and please correct me if i'm wrong that you uh that your your view of the base really informs where things are going with this group.
1: Yeah, because it, 99% of the time it starts with the base. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like the lead off. And then then it's just following that. Yeah. Um,
0: you yeah, like the you, you like the idea of the bass as a composition. Uh, comp, comp, uh, wait, how, how, sorry. You like you like the idea of the bass as like a compositional instrument. Basically, you can you can compose on it.
1: Yes, yes, that's that's just how it's happened for me. Sure. Uh, the only difference, the only time that wasn't the case is on the Faithful Anchor, Faithful Anchor record. I wrote a lot of the bass lines on acoustic guitar. Mm. and then transpose them to bass. Sure. Uh, and I don't know why I did that. I just did I think maybe it's just because there was always an acoustic guitar laying around at that
0: time. Yeah, but, but you I, you were still thinking about it in almost like a bass term, probably.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because I feel comfortable on the bass. Like, it's... Uh, I don't feel comfortable with a guitar around my neck. Yeah. But I do with a bass. Like, I there's something about the weight of it the, you know uh, the longer neck the thicker strings uh, the tone it just feels right to me and it feels comfortable so it's, it's, for
0: me yeah it's funny how often I've seen David Bazan in bands and he's also plays bass you know very often so I imagine you two probably connect a little bit on that in that regard
1: yes I mean and taking it back to the Talking about the game of the lion earlier, learning his bass lines was huge for me, and it, it it allowed me and helped me to go into this new era that I'm in, where I can write easier. Yeah, and I feel like I have a better understanding of what I want to do, uh, you know, melodic wise and, and musically. So I, I love his bass playing, uh, and you know, and these newer records that he's doing, it's just really inventive, and uh, it's exciting for me to see his excitement about the instrument, yeah. uh, and I'm always excited to see what he's going to do with it, and how I can learn from that.
0: Do you think that having a a constantly revolving lineup has contributed to your willingness as a band leader to sort of let the project mutate and, uh, and, and grow with you? Do you think that had there been people who were there from the very beginning and sort of never departed that you would have... Do you think that, to some degree, it's the fact that this has been your project and that you have moved around and played with different folks? Do you think all that's contributed to the overall sort of um, variety of the of the terrain covered?
1: Yeah, I think it has, because I, um, it's just, you know, working with so many different people over the years, and just... Journeys and so many different adventures and so many different uh, relationships. That it's well, one way that I'll put it this way. I've I've always tried to think of a way to describe what Sailor musically and how how like how do you describe the history? How each of the records sounds different. And what made the most sense to me is if so you're playing a video game and you have these different levels of different worlds in the video game and then when you go to these different levels of these different worlds there's always different music playing but yet it's still that same video game
0: yeah. there's a connection
1: in between all those worlds and the music somehow and that's yeah. how I view Unlit Sailor And all these different, there's been different musicians and those different relationships is kind of like the different worlds, but yet there's, there's still that, that thread that connects you all together musically. Does that
0: make sense? That makes perfect sense, actually. I really like that. It be,
1: because it took me like probably 18 years to figure that
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems... It's, it seems to me like Unwed Sailor, to some degree or another, is sort of a... Uh, I, I want to try to use the... the I want to put this the right way. Sort of a slow food type project in a lot of ways. It's something that you have really let simmer and really let marinate, not just on record, but in your mind, too. It seems like the idea is something that... Uh, I, I love it when when you can see a band that is, has that is done... Remarkably different things, and it hasn't been afraid to change, and hasn't been afraid to experiment, hasn't been afraid to unfold new influences and, and sort of evolve. Um, I think that that's something you've done with this band, and, it, and it's it's always great to talk with people who have done that because they have a real sense of 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 the kind of evolution that you have to sort of allow for if you want a thing to keep feeling. Whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's it's like it's like a reflection of life, you know. I mean, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago, and if you are, I don't know, man. You, you, maybe some things should happen where you're not. Yeah, you know? that's right. It's um, we're all like growing and molding into the, you know, like our opinions change, change. It, it's just so musically, it just. That makes sense to me. Like you're always like you're always going to be Jason,
1: you're always going to be Jonathan, but you're, you know, you're gonna evolve as a person and your personality is gonna evolve. So, you know, it's the same thing with to me with Unwed Sailor's music. It it's always gonna be Unwed Sailor, but the marionette in the music box is a different aspect of that personality, you know, than uh, look alive. But yet it's still the same thing. It's just two different eras uh, or two different personalities or or two different growth periods of the band.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all this stuff with me here on the the Aquarium Drunkard
1: podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me.